So we're in the midst of this series on uh, making an impact, we're talking about the divine impact of God, which is a, a very important kind of turning point for us as a body of believers. We have been praying for revival. We're going to continue to do that. As a matter of fact, if you wouldn't mind, look in your bulletin and you will see this week's uh, revival prayer focus. It's around forgiveness. It's about the acknowledgement of sin and the necessity of peace in order for a, a church family to experience revival. And we're going to continue to pray for revival, asking God to transform our hearts and renew us with a flame. And then we're going to begin in 2020 to pray for more than that. We're going to pray for revival, but we're going to begin to pray for an awakening. For the light of God within us to begin to light up our city. That there would be large numbers of people who would be saved. Our city needs a great awakening. Our nation needs a great awakening. God can do it. And God is at work. And God has chosen to do his work and to bring his message of hope through his church. He does that through a revived church. He does that through a surrendered church. And so we are singing and we are praying and we are asking in preparation for a movement of God. Understand and know for certain, God is at work in the world. He is going to bring sinners to salvation. And he is calling us to join him in that work. And we have a responsibility to do that work. And so when we're talking about divine impact, we're not talking about something we go out and do on our own and say, hey, God, look, aren't we great? No. This is where we say, God, we believe that you want to save sinners the way your Bible says you do. And we want to join you in bringing that hope into this world. We want to be a part of making disciples, having a divine impact. And that's what our text calls us to today. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Colossians chapter 4. Jenna's going to come and read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. We're in Colossians chapter 4, and today we're going to look at verse 5, and God willing, verse 6 next week. So Jenna, if you would read for us verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jenna. If you would, go ahead and be seated. May God now bless you with the preaching of his word, and it is his word. This is not just some passing thought. This is crucial to our existence. This is crucial to the will of God. Please understand what I'm going to talk to you about today is not for the super Christian. It's not for the special Christian. It's not for the ordained. It's for everyone who calls Jesus Christ his or her Savior and Lord. Understand the world is looking and the world is wondering, is there really a living hope? 
Is there a people who genuinely have been touched and transformed by the power of God? I think a lot of people are like Winston Churchill. I like his philosophy. He says, I no longer listen to what people say. I just watch what they do. Behavior never lies. See, the world is watching and they're wondering, is Christianity real? Does it really have an impact on people's lives? Several years ago, our youngest child, Asher, got extremely sick. Scared me so bad. I can remember where we were when I realized how serious this was. We were uh, coming out of Walgreens and it was in December and it was kind of cold. And one of the things I love about my Jeep is I can get that thing smoking hot in that. I mean, it's getting just hot which is a glorious thing to be hot. I know some of you are celebrating this cool temperature. Know that I am not. I love the heat. So that day we were driving and it was so hot. I mean, even I was hot. And I looked over and Asher was shivering. He said, Daddy, I'm so cold. And I thought, this is not good. Got him home. Carrie came home. I said, I I think he's very sick. You ever seen a mom go from concerned to intense. You don't want to get in a mama's way when she's decided that something's going to happen to help her baby. I'm scared of my wife (laughs) when she gets like this. So we called the doctor and they're like, yeah, we could see you in a couple of days. And she's like, well, we're in the car and we were getting in the car and we're coming and we're either going to see you or we're going to see somebody, but this child is about to be seen by a doctor. And they got ready to see us wisely. They don't, don't, don't mess with my wife ever. I don't mess with her. She's tough. We went in. They did all these tests. I mean, he looked so terrible. And they came out and they said, he's got mono. And he was sick for weeks. It was during the Christmas season. He couldn't do any of the fun stuff. It was me and him basically just kind of laying low until he got better. I mean, he was so, so sick. I heard a few weeks ago about a football player and they said he had mono. And within a week, he was playing football again. And I was thinking, he ain't got mono. (laughs) I've seen mono. That ain't mono. You can say you have mono. That's not mono. Mono looks like death, all right? You know, there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians. They don't have any of the symptoms. I've seen Christians. I mean, born again, spirit-led, spirit-walking Christians. It's one thing to say it. There's something else to have the symptoms. Can I, can I give you three symptoms of a disciple of Jesus just real quick? What are symptoms of disciples of Jesus? First of all, there's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, through 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's also love. Preaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about a very different kind of love, the different kind of love that the world had never heard of before. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 44, did I? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's a different kind of love. The kind of love that a Christian has is the kind of love that Christ alone gives, which is the love for those who don't deserve it, who don't even necessarily want it, but it is graciously given. This is the kind of love that becomes a symptom of a Christian's life. And then there, there is this powerful witness. Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 
says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So symptoms of a disciple of Jesus, fruit of the Spirit, love, a very different kind of love, a sacrificial love, a giving love, an unconditional love, and a powerful witness that speaks to, to who Christ is and what he's done in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the flesh, not in, in, in convincing arguments made uh, from, from the mentality of, of mankind, but a supernatural witness that's according to the Word of God. Are these your symptoms? There was a guy uh, back in the 20th century. His name was Dr. Will H. Hofton. And apparently he was a very, very good preacher and pastor. And he was going to be going to Atlanta in view of a call in a significant church. And there was a member of that church that had some very serious concerns about whether or not Dr. Hoffman was not only a, an ordained pastor, but a Christian. And so he, unbeknownst to anyone else, hired a, a private detective to follow Dr. Hoffman for a month. And, and from what I understand, he even got uh, some surveillance. So he was hearing conversations that were going on in this man's home. He was watching every detail of this man's life. Well, after a month, he went back to the man who had hired him and he gave his report. And he said, I don't know what you thought about that man, but let me tell you something about that man. That is a man of God. And as a matter of fact, I wasn't a Christian, but I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior because of what God did in that man's life. It's real. Isn't that awesome? Some of you think so. Some of you need to wake up. <laughs> Let me ask you something. What if I called you up on the stage this morning and told you that we as a church had hired a private detective to investigate you for the last 30 days? What if that detective has been listening in on every single one of your conversations and has seen every single thing you've done in the last 30 days? Would they find the symptoms of a disciple of Jesus? Would they find a person who is revealing the fruit of the Spirit, living out the love of Christ, sharing and, and, and having a powerful witness. Friends, there's one thing to claim to be a Christian. There's another thing to live as an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ. See, as authentic disciples of Jesus Christ, one of the things we will do is that we will live like Jesus and we will share the hope of Jesus. And if we're not doing that, here's what we got to understand. We're just making excuses. See, as disciples of Jesus, you might want to take note of this. We must stop making excuses. And we've all got our excuses. I think about this time when Jesus was calling disciples in Luke chapter 9. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know what he was saying? He's like... Hey, I know this looks cool, but this is hard. This is going to cost you. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, he wasn't asking to go for an hour to a visitation. He was talking about in that day and age, it would take about a year to get through the whole process. So basically, he was saying, Jesus, not this year, but next year, okay? You know, if everything goes okay, 
I'll follow you. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I I will follow you, Lord. Let let me first say farewell to others at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. You know what Jesus was saying there? He's like, guys, stop making excuses. Follow me. Submit to me. Surrender all, no matter what it costs you. You know, the NBA looks real silly right now. The NBA for years has been telling everyone about how bad they are and how there needs to be social, social justice. And you know, a lot of their messages have been dead on and good, but it didn't cost them anything to say those things to the United States of America. But lo and behold, as soon as they wanted to speak against the tyranny of China, all of a sudden they don't want to talk about that anymore. Has anyone else noticed this? So I thought this was a real interesting uh, <laughs> social commentary by way of cartoon. All of a sudden, the NBA is quiet because China, those who were over there, wouldn't even let them interview anymore. And so you know what the NBA is doing? They're keeping their mouth shut. You want to know why? Because it will cost them if they say something. Can I tell you, it's real easy to complain about America and what's wrong with America, because you know what, it won't cost you anything here. You can say whatever you want, it's a free country. When it it costs them something, they're not saying anything. Did y'all hear about this one though with Ellen DeGeneres? I thought this was great. So the world freaked out because a liberal was sitting with a conservative. She had to go on her television show and to explain that she actually has a friend and a formal president that she doesn't agree with on a number of issues, but they're still friends. Weird, right? Well, apparently so, because she's lost tons of followers. She's got people threatening her, trolling her, talking awful about her, rejecting her. But you know what? She's standing up. I don't agree with a lot of things about this woman's lifestyle and what she believes, but I do say, I will say this, she's standing for what she believes, even though it costs her. You know, there's a lot of Christians who are glad to talk about being a Christian as long as it suits them. But but what about when it's costly? What about when people won't talk to you anymore if you claim to be a Christian? What if they won't do business with you anymore if you're, not, if you're a Christian? What if, they, if they, they won't really invite you to all the cool stuff if you're a Christian? What, what if they, they start making fun of you and saying negative things about you? Will you stand for him then? See, it's, it's easy when it doesn't cost you anything. And it's easy to make excuses because it might cost you something. But friends, we gotta stop making excuses. We have to understand what's at stake. We got to understand that there's, there are those who are watching and they're wondering, is this true? Is God real? Is Christ a wonderful savior? Is the Holy Spirit, of God, is he really that powerful? Does he really move? And if we believe that and we don't live that and we don't say that, what does that say about us? You know, there's a uh, guy, his name is Penn Gillette. He's a part of a... Um, of an entertainment uh, a duet called Penn and Teller. And this guy's not a Christian. As a matter of fact, he's an atheist and he regularly makes fun of the Bible. And he recently spoke of Christians. 
And someone was asking him what he thinks about people who he uses the term proselytize. And that, by that term, he means people who share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, friends, the, the question is, what kind of horrible people are we if we believe in heaven and hell and that Jesus really will save, but we don't tell anybody? So this atheist, listen to what he says here. It's pretty amazing. Let's, let's watch this together. How much do you have to hate someone to believe in heaven and hell, but not tell them about it? That's from the lips of an atheist. Friends, the world is looking and they're wondering, is there living hope? If they were to investigate us, would they find one in our midst? Friends, we've got to stop making excuses and write it down. We've got to start making disciples. Jesus said clearly in the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. This was not a request. This was a command. This is what those who are followers of Jesus Christ are to do. We are to make disciples. Now understand, everyone is making disciples. You're sharing what you believe all the time. And what you believe is what ultimately matters to you. So mom and dad, are you making disciples at home? Disciples of Jesus? Kids, are you making disciples of Jesus at school? What about those of you who go to work? Over the next few months, as we begin this charge and thinking through impact, you're gonna hear me and all of our leaders consistently speak to the vision of our church. Here's what you're gonna hear over and over for the next several months. Living hope is a family of disciples impacting our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. This is what we're about. Is this what you're about? This is what scripture commands us to be about. Doesn't ask us. This is what our commander, Jesus Christ, commands us to be about. Again, Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Listen to this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Paul was writing to Timothy, a man, and was saying, listen, what you've heard me say... You teach to other men who will be able to teach to other men. Ladies, you need to be teaching to other ladies what Christ has done for you. We all need to be teaching others what Christ has done for us. And if we're not, here's what we can know. We have lost sight of the kingdom of God and we are getting way too involved in civilian, that is temporary human affairs. We are not living in obedience to the will of God. Hear me very carefully on this. If we are not being and making disciples of Jesus Christ, we are not in the will of God. Bottom line. We gotta stop making excuses. We gotta start making disciples. And our text gives us, you know, a, a real easy way of knowing how to do that best. Take note, as disciple makers, we must first of all be wise toward outsiders. You got to be wise. You got to think about it. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Believers are called to live so that they establish the credibility of the Christian faith. 
I wasn't raised in a Christian home. It took me a while to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord as a young person because I knew a lot of people who claimed to be Christians. And they were doing what I was doing on the weekends. They were cussing like me, fighting like me, drinking like me. The only difference is what they were doing on Sunday morning. While I was sleeping it off, they were faking it at church. Do you know what happened to me? Craziest thing happened to me. I met real Christians who had the symptoms of authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, those people freaked me out. They loved me. They were kind to me. They prayed for me. They, they let me come to their homes and eat meals around their tables. And I would watch them pray. And I would watch them laugh and cry together. And I would, sing, I would watch them sing songs. And I, I started listening to their sermons. You know what the best sermons that I ever heard were the ones I saw in the hallway of my high school? Because they were living the faith. And after I saw them living that faith, I started going to the church and I started listening to the pastor who was preaching that faith. And he got to Hebrews chapter three. He was preaching through Hebrews. June of 1988, this loser got saved. And it was the work of the Spirit of God through the people of God living as authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. It was miraculous, as it always is. It was God showing out and showing up. And it was people who were saying, we are disciples who are going to make disciples. But like I said before, everybody in this room is a disciple of something or someone. Mom and dad, what are you making your child a disciple of? Kids, what are you making your friends disciples of at school? Those of you who are at work, those of you in your neighborhoods, what are you making the, your coworkers, your neighbors, disciples of? For some, it's a sports team or an athlete. For some, it's an entertainer or a television show. For some, it's a politician or a policy, uh, political party, politics. See, what you're a disciple of is whatever really matters to you. Whatever really stirs your heart and makes you emotional. That is what you are surrendered to. That's what you're under the authority of. Is that Jesus Christ? See, if, if it's not Jesus Christ, it's something else. And if it's something else, here's what you can know. You're using whatever influence you have to make disciples of other people with that. So let me ask you, what are you a disciple of? Mom and dad, what are you discipling your children to be? Kids at school, those of you who at work, what are you discipling your neighbors to be? Everyone is, is discipling someone. You are influencing someone. You're making a disciple of someone. Is it Jesus Christ? I saw this on Facebook and I, and I said, Lord, please don't let this be us at Living Hope. Many Christians grow up in church but never grow in Christ. They know hymns but they don't know him. I pray this isn't us. You know, the easiest thing to do in, 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 in the southeastern part of North America is to pretend to be a Christian. Easiest thing in the world. All you got to do is not cuss too much, not drink too much. You know, not get caught doing too much. And, and just tell everybody you're fine. It's not being a Christian. A 
Christian is someone who submitted their life to Jesus Christ, who doesn't just know the gospel, shares it. Friends, there's a reason why I keep sharing the three circles. And believe it or not, it's not just so that I can annoy you, although I think sometimes you think it is. I keep bringing this to you because for me, it's the easiest way I know to share the gospel. For those of you who are new here, some of you who don't believe, I'm gonna tell you something. God's design, the way God made this world is he made it perfect, but we messed it up with our sin. So if you're experiencing brokenness in any relationships, brokenness of any kind, here's what you can know, it's because of sin. But if we will repent of sin, God will heal us, and as we believe in the gospel, we'll be free to pursue and recover God's design. Mom and dad, have you talked to your kids about this? Kids, have you talked to your friends at school about this? Those of you who go to work, those of you who have neighbors, have you shared this at all? Are you making disciples of Jesus? Friends, we've got to be intentional about this. Write it down, understand. As disciple makers, we must be intentional with time. Look at what it says in the last part of verse five. Making the best use of the time. Two very important words here make up this entire uh, 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 section of six, of six words, or seven words rather. Making the most use of. That, that's actually one word. Ex exorazo. It comes from two words. One is ex, which means out of. Agorazo means to redeem so it's saying buy out, to make the most use of, the word that is being used here is a, is a financial term of, of buying back, of taking what was and buying it at sacrifice for something else. What, what we're being commanded to do here is to buy back and make use of, but look at the word, the time. That word that there is not the word chronos. Uh, where we get our idea of chronology. It, this is not a sequence of moments. That's not what this word is. This word is kairos. This is what, uh, what they would call a very special time, a very important time. One commentator says it is, it is pregnant time. It's going to produce something very important, something very powerful. And what he's saying is, your life is a breath. And this time is sacred. And we must be intentional with it. Here's a fun fact. There's 11 weeks left in this decade. What if all you had left in your life was 11 weeks? Would it change the way you pray? Would it change the way you talk? Would it change your attitude about what's going on all around you? See, I want to tell you what happens to most of us. We get so used to having day after day after day chronological time that we forget that we're in a very sacred time. And we forget that this, this moment's going to come and it's going to be gone and either we will have made the most use of it or we won't. Social media, every now and then I got this thing, it's called time hop. You guys familiar with this? It's a picture typically of something that happened in the past and it almost always makes me cry because it's usually something with our church family or our family, the kids were small or something cool that was happening in Living Hope. Do you know what I always find myself doing? I always find myself wondering, Lord, did I really make the best use of that time? Did I really engage in that moment? 
Can I tell you, a day is coming very soon. Some of you, sooner than what you know, you won't see 2020. Some of you will not. It will be a surprise to, to many of you and your friends. But whether it's a few weeks or a few years, it's going to be like a breath. And there's going to be this supernatural time hop where God is going to show us every second of our existence. And he's going to judge our lives. And if our life is not found in Christ, then we're going to have to, we're going to, have to give an account for all of our sin, which means that we are going to have to come under the justice of God for all of eternity because he is an eternal God and we will suffer for our sin. But any who have believed in Jesus Christ, that eternal punishment has already been poured out on him. And so we are free, those of us who believe, from the just wrath of God, but we will still be judged. And we will have to give an account for what we did with the grace that was given to us and the time and resources and opportunities. Friends, if you were to stand before God today to give an account for your life, would you say, I used it for the glory of God? Can you honestly say that you've lived for his kingdom purpose? Or will all the stuff that you're living for right now and all the stuff that's been so important to you for so long, will it all be burned up in the judgment of God and you be found empty-handed, though saved, as Paul discusses in 1 Corinthians, as those who've made it from the fire but have nothing to show for their life? If we are not making disciples of Jesus Christ, we will have nothing to show for our life. Friends, that is no way to live. We have been commanded to be and make disciples. We have been privileged to live in a land where we have access to this word and where we're being told and reminded to take on this responsibility. Friends, some of you can't do it because you're not saved. You're where I was several years ago. And I want to invite you today to ask Christ to forgive you and take your life. And here's what he'll do. He'll give you a new one. Some of you are Christians in this room. You really are. But you don't have a heart for God or his work in the world. And you're wasting your life. You need to repent of that right now. You need to understand that you're making disciples, but you need to start making disciples of Jesus at home, among your neighbors, in every generation. Some of you this morning, you know lost people, and that's great. Now you need to start praying for them, and you need to ask God to do a miracle in their life some of them in their marriage, some of them in their family, and let the work of the gospel of God transform and make new what was dead and broken because he can do it. Amen? Let's stand together as we pray. Oh, Father, you are a great God, and you call us to a significant life. This time, it's so important. Lord, would you, would you, Holy Spirit, would you help us to make the most of this moment? 
to see how brief life is, how important it is that our children be nurtured in the gospel, that our neighbors be nurtured in the gospel, that every generation hear the gospel, that the, the people we come in contact with, Lord, that they would know and there would be a divine impact. God, today as we pray for revival, please hear us and change us. As some come to pray for salvation, give them new life. For some who come to lift up those who are dead in sin, save them, give them rebirth. And Lord, as we pray for an awakening, heal our land, heal South Central Kentucky, and move through us into this nation and world with the hope of Jesus. God, you can do that. Give us a heart for it, and now hear us, give us a heart to pray for it, and hear us as we pray. Come and pray, if you will.